welcome to the Situation Report for Monday, February 27th. I am going to be joined today by Tom Luongo. I uh, have posted a lot of his videos in my, not just in my Telegram channel, but on chat with um, both True Social and Getter. And uh, he's a financial guy. I'm going to let him introduce himself in a minute here. But overall, this was an interview I've been wanting to do for a while. I got lucky and was able to get a hold of him and connect with him. So uh, today I'm going to talk to him about his view of the world, um, throw some things at him to see what he what he sees and see what his uh, his take on Janet Yellen going to Ukraine is. That's because uh, it's unusual, highly unusual for a Treasury Secretary to go to one of our well, to a warring nation. It's just not something we do. But stand by for Tom Luongo. Okay, so I'm joined with Tom Luongo, and it's a great honor to have you here, by the way. Thanks for making the time today to do this. Um, no most people don't know um, your background. They've, mm. they've been exposed through my show to uh, your not just your pad, podcast, but your blog, as, as well as a lot of your interviews. But can you give folks a, just a little bit of background of who you are and how you got into this? Sure. Um, so when I graduated college in 1992, and I think you and I, we talked off stage that we're approximately the same age. Um, I just turned 55. Um, I graduated with a degree in chemistry from the University of Florida, and I worked as 25 years as a bench and research chemist. I also about three classes away from a degree in English as well. So I, so I always wanted to be a writer. I always studied writing, studied, also have a pretty extensive music background that was like my really my first love but i wasn't allowed to go to school to do that so uh because the parents were paying uh, and the parents were two of the only republicans in the state of new york that said no you got to get something practical so i was okay chemistry was the only discipline i was actually willing to engage with because biology sucks and physics is well i wound up being a high energy physicist by the time i got done with my chemistry degree anyway but i thought you know physics was opaque um but i worked as a bench and research chemist for 25 years um and across multiple disciplines, I've you know been adjacent to the, I've been adjacent to academia. I've been adjacent to the oil and uh, oil and gas industry. I've been uh, adjacent to the metal finishing industry or the metals mod the, the surface modification industry, otherwise known as plating, um, metallurgy. I've done all of that stuff. And um, and then, you know, as a degreed chemist in the early '40s, if you don't have an MBA or you don't have a PhD or a master's, you can't run a research department. So when the job that I had with the startup that uh, I had um, turned out to be uh, not really a big, not, it wasn't, didn't turn out to be the thing that they hoped it would be. Uh, I was the future product guy and it was no real future. Well, I got laid off and I couldn't find a job. So slowly but surely, I turned to all of my hobbies, which were politics, economics, systems, design, and and hobby board gaming and all the stuff that I, I like to do. Um, I just turned it, I, you know, I started just doing some writing and I fell in with a broker over in Vietnam actually. Uh, and we built the beginnings of a business on Skype with a 12 hour difference. And, uh, I wrote under his name for about two years and learned the ropes of financial, uh, analysis and financial writing really shored up my, my understanding of just how to you know read a balance sheet and, you know, do SWOT analysis and all this other stuff. Whereas I had been as a libertarian, as an Austrian, uh, as an Austrian, Austro-libertarian, I was only interested really in monetary theory. 
um, and uh, kind of classic gold bug. And then I got picked up when I came out from behind the curtain. I started writing for Seeking Alpha. I got picked up by Newsmax in 2013 to write a gold newsletter for them. And then it's just been an evolution of that ever since. So, Interesting. Um, Interesting. I thought you were a financial guy uh, through and through. Like that's where you started. Chemist. No, man. I'm a chemist that's and a, I'm a chemist, a musician and a, and a board game um, junkie. <laughs> that's you don't hear those three in one sentence just to be and just to be perfectly honest <laughs> that well so let's start with uh janet yellen what do you think of her trip over to ukraine that's that that to me I seems think, highly unusual i think president yellen was doing exactly what president yellen's been doing for a while now which is um making sure that the the, the funds flow and the policy stays consistent in washington to achieve the plans of that who she works for and she does not work for the united states um if anything she works for the how i put it always put it the old european money otherwise known as the davos crowd which is a shorthand and it's a meme that i've literally like created out of whole cloth and seeded into the zeitgeist over the last five years because i'm the one who came up with that phrase davos five years ago uh well before anybody knew who the fuck i was frankly um and it just, I just kept putting it out on zero hedge over and over and over again. Eventually it just kind of seeded into the zeitgeist and that's great. And it is what it is. And now everybody uses it. And the day I saw Laura Ingraham and, and Tucker Carlson use that phrase, I'm like, Ooh, okay. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's good. And you, you kind of know how, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, cool. I do. Now I know that they, their staff reads zero hedge. Yeah, basically. I do. Right. right. But, so. Um, Yellen going to Ukraine to ensure that the money and the weapons keep flowing is all part of, you know, this big, I, I hate to say it, we have, we live in an age of overlapping psyops, right? Um, and so many of the psyops are hard, you know, really parse which one is dominant at this moment in time or whatever. And this is why everything's so goddamn confusing. But the, the nascent World War III that we have, which really started in 2014 with the coup on the Maidan in Ukraine, um, is, you know, we're now just moving into the kinetic phase of it, um, is long been on the drawing board. And it's always been on the drawing board that the European powers, my uh, interpretation of this, in order for them to continue to retain their colonialist control over as much of the global economy as possible, which they've enjoyed for hundreds of years, they have to, they've won, they've subsumed the United States back into this um, by always having the British crown control our banking system. Um, and our, and then by extension in the 20th century, our foreign policy. Um, and then beyond that, it's just always been that we would have been built up into an industrial power to use as their kind of tip of the spear, for lack of a better term, through foreign policy. And that's the broad strokes of what I see. And that, and so Yellen, who, you know, you can label her, um, as Daniel DiMartino Booth put it on my podcast, on the podcast I did with her a couple of weeks ago, shockingly naive um, as a useful idiot for globalist Oh, I thought that was a perfect analogy that she did when uh, you guys did that interview. I, I mm. they and so, and we'll get to Jerome Powell in a second. But you, mm. you know, I want to touch on the psyops for a second because that's that's sure. my that's area of expertise, right? Right. What I, I see a lot of different things, but one of the things I've had to educate people on over the last uh, three years now is that 
There's a difference between a PSYOP and influencing operations and disruptive operations, as well as interdiction operations. And we're seeing all those all at the same time. We're seeing interdiction operations on our side of the fence where you and I are trying to put out good information, but every time we turn around, we're being called shills, we're being called you know, deep state assets. Name your flavor, right? Uh, at the same know, time- I- the, the Putin brown noser is the one I think that um, I get a lot. <laughs> that is priceless. Priceless. <laughs> so, I, I will get to Putin too. I, I But I, the uh, the interesting thing to me is that they're, they're not shy anymore about the fact that they're using propaganda and they're using psyops against the American public. They're just not shy about it. it used to be. No, they're not. They would be very um, noncommittal about anything. And now we're seeing, like I'm seeing psychological operations being used across social media, across mm-hmm. Netflix, across, like, here's a perfect example I give my audience all the time. Look at how many dark Luciferian titles there are just on Netflix and Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. And yep. you will see how they are trying to influence you to accept pedophilia, to accept Satanism, to accept cannibalism, to accept mm-hmm this minor attractive person's BS, which is nothing more than, you know, pedophilia. It's everywhere now. It used to be one or two things. And the the other thing that's interesting is how they've laced all this woke culture into literally every show. Did you know we're gay? You and I are gay. We just don't know we're gay. They have to tell us. I I have gay friends who've been, and I have a gay brother and he's been telling me this since I'm 13. Yeah. So I've been been around, I've been around this my entire life. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got plenty of, of homosexual, um, uh, uh, you know, exposure on both sides of my family. It's it's not something I'm very comfortable with. I, you know, I just I understand gay people. I hate I hate to I hate to, to to break it to anybody, but you know, I but I got news for you. I also know it from the perspective of what based homosexuals actually look like, because my brother's one of them, and um, it's one of the things I really like about my brother. There are other things I don't like, but that that I, I do like. And yeah, plus yeah, he's like Thomas. You know, you're gay, right? I'm like, uh, yeah, that's a nice job. Yeah, and it's it's literally laced into everything, every show, every media broadcast, everything now. And mm-hmm. that's what that's why I've spent a bulk of my time breaking apart is showing people how to break those narratives down. Sure. And, you know, we're seeing that everywhere, right? But I think the interesting thing given that is so I think Putin is going to drive the Ukraine situation to closure, regardless of what the folks in DC want and mm-hmm. what the folks in Europe want. And I think for him. He doesn't have a choice now. He's he's committed. They commit. They've literally backed him into a corner, so he'd have to do this. And now of he's course. going to double down and go all the way in. My question to you is, how do you see China in all of this? Right? Because you've you've talked extensively about the the, the gold based currencies, the central bank digital currency. You've talked a lot about how the Fed is working against the Treasury, or Treasury is working against Fed, and how Jerome Powell's trying to repatriate U.S. dollars. I'd really like to hear your take on how, what you think China's doing in all this. I think China is um, both a malign actor and an actor, and like Putin, they're both malign actors, but they're also acting in their, their best interest. And depending on your perspective and how um, willing you are to engage with uh, American propaganda as um, real, right? There's a kernel, propaganda works like all lies. The best lies all work because they're based on a nugget of truth. So from my perspective, I, I have, do I believe that the Chinese, you know, have infiltrated various and have influence over various members of our government? Of course I do. 
do I believe that they're, you know, they're, they're trying to pull off various um, malign act, you know, activities around the country to, 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 to um, uh, uh, compromise national defense? Yeah, I do. Um, uh, my partner, Dexter White, a couple months ago in the Gold Ghosts and Guns newsletter wrote a great article about China, about why the real reason we sanctioned Huawei was was because they were putting their 5G towers up around the country in close proximity to every American military base. That's what that was the zip code. Those were the zip codes they targeted around the country, right? So clearly there was something else going on here, some reason for that, right? I mean, we can talk about zip code targeting and Obama and the, you know, the use of immigration and zip code targeting in order to move the country electorally into a different you know, into a different state, which they've been doing for well, for twelve years now. But I think it's been longer than that. I would say I, Obama did it overtly, but I right. think I think Bush did it um, passively mm -hmm. because remember we were repatriating a lot of Iraqis and a lot of Kurdish into the sure. country during the Iraq War. What people don't realize is Bush created entire communities and specific zip codes to yeah. change the demographic. And Obama well, I mean, just Demo did Demo well. I mean, to be honest with you, Steve. Demographic targeting of voters through, you know, through public policy is that goes back to Christ. I can go all the way back to Hoover on this shit. Like the whole New Deal was nothing but a zip code targeting um, means by which to ensure Democrats would control the political structure of the United States for a generation. That's what that's what FDR's whole reign of terror was about. It's like I can so I can do this. We can go back. You know, this is just. It, it just makes sense. Like once you have control of the of the of the thing, like you use it and you leverage that control to your best advantage for as long as you can. So I, the Democrats and Republicans both do this stuff. This is why I, I, I find neither of them particularly interesting. But going back <laughs> to China, no, I just think that's who they are. Like it's, no, it's funny because anybody I, who doesn't see that is, well, shockingly naive. Yeah, and, I, know, I see it the same way. Just like this booth. I remember you doing the, one, the, the interview with Mel Kay where you guys talked about Hollywood and your view on mm -hmm. Star Trek and, and Marvel comics. I, I had to chuckle because, you know, it's, it's, it's so close to how I, how I view it. Right. I, I watched the the latest and I, I know I'm being tangential here, but just bear with me. Sure. You know, you watch the new Star Trek, right. Discovery. And it's just, it's insufferably woke and it's, it's oh, it, all their, Every one of their talking points, every one of their narrative um, key points is all in one episode. You just mm -hmm. want to vomit after five minutes, right? Oh, yeah. And it's it's the same way with a lot of the political spectrum, right? You and I could talk probably for eight hours just about the political side of the house. But sure. what do you think China is going to do next? Do you think they're going to go into Taiwan? Do you think they're... The, they I've may. been asked... Yeah, I've been I asked... I don't think they want to any more than I think Russia wanted to move into Ukraine. But... You know, targets of opportunity will present themselves and they will when they are either backed into the corner where they have to, like like the neocons, the Brits backed us into over, I use the Brits, but it's also the EU. It's also the neocons in, in Congress and um, and the think tanks on K Street and all the rest of those fucking assholes. Um, they're all in cahoots, Right. And there's a lot of mutual co coincidence of wants with these people. This is one of the things that I try to remind people about all the time is that everybody has their incentives. And sometimes the Venn diagram overlaps, but they have different end goals, but their interim goals may overlap. And that's where you get 
policy convergence. It does not mean that they are always going to be in lockstep with each other for the rest of their natural lives. And right. that if you can trace a connection to them once, that means, therefore, there's, oh, there's a permanent connection. This is part of the problem I have with many of the members of, of the commentariat that I'm adjacent to, that who I respect, but they can't see this. They just do, frankly, they just do the George Webb thing. This equals this equals this equals this equals that. Done. Like, no, it's not that fucking simplistic you no. found a connection that does now you just paint with the with the with the big wide nine inch wide built by association brush yeah really? the danger the danger in it's, that it's very is dangerous that, it's a yeah. very very first order analysis it's, i hate to use the word adolescent because it sounds um pejorative like a pejorative but it is no, no, and you're we need spot to get on. past that if we're going to figure out what's going on here. So I like to I like to look at this stuff in such a way, and we're getting a little bit of wind here. So, um, and there's my ashtray is over there. Um, but when we you, you do this stuff, you have to be sensitive to the fact that you might not that the connection is just a connection, and well, it's it a may, marriage of convenience is what it and really a marriage is. of convenience and yeah. a temporal mutual coincidence of wants. But it's like that. I, I use the I use this this all the time just to illustrate this point. It's like that scene in Patton. We've all seen Patton, one of my favorite movies of all time. And there's that moment where he's directing traffic in the in the French mud, right? And Colonel Malden, um, Omar Bradley comes up to him and says, "George, this run across Europe has been brilliant, but I got to slow you down. Montgomery is bogged down, and he needs." You know, the gasoline, the, the gasoline, I promise you, has got to go to Montgomery. And then George, of course, gets, you know, freaking pissed off and yells and screams. And he says, you know, what bothers me is that I have the precise instrument at the precise moment in the precise place for his glory. His, and he says, mm -hmm. and a moment like this won't come around for a thousand years. It'll spin off into the distance. And it won't, and, and if we, if I, and all I need is a couple of hundred million miserable gallons of gasoline. Right. And this is the kind of thing you have to realize is that everybody, if you map everybody's incentives as, as vectors, right, in vector coordinate space, this is the, math, math, the mathematician, the physicist, and he comes out now. All I see is, well, Davos has got their vector plan that they're on, and the neocons have their vector that they're on, and these people have their, and the Chinese have their vector that they're on, the Russians. And eventually, at some point, the Venn diagram of their desires of their needs, of their goals, overlap. And that's when you get maximum amount of confluence of fuckery, for lack of a better term. <laughs> that does not mean that that level of fuckery is going to continue in perpetuity. No, the, they will continue along their vectors because they have their belief system and they have their end goal, and they're not going to really deviate very much from their end goal. They may, you know, putz around a little bit and adjust and move, but for the most part, they're on this vector path with a little bit of wiggle room. And so eventually they may pass each other like ships in the night, and the Venn diagram spins off, and then they no longer have mutual coincidence of wants. For Russia and China, it's a marriage of convenience. Historically, they don't like each other any more than the Russians and the Turks like each other. But guess what? The Russians and the Turks have mutual coincidence of wants. The Russians and the Chinese have mutual coincidence of wants. The Russians and the Iranians have mutual coincidence of wants. And the Indians are sitting there as the wild card that, you know, haven't effectively or still have, they, we still feel have the opportunity to get them to change sides back to where they belong, which is why right now the big 
thing you should be watching is George Soros's uh, political attacks on Narendra Modi's Prime Minister Narendra Modi's re-election campaign. Yeah, I thought that was interesting when you interviewed uh, Lynette Zhang. You guys talked about Modi's kind of in a he's in a holding pattern because he went mm-hmm. a certain direction, got screwed. Now he's got to go in a different direction. Yeah, and there's been some. And since I did that interview with Lynette, thank my my unbelievable crew of, of Baker Street regulars, the, as a Sherlock Holmes reference, who do a lot of my, I frankly, who do a lot of my research for me and bring the information to me because you, when you do good work, you inspire people to bring you information. Um, yeah, they found me at least two different articles where it's clear that Soros is going after um, uh, this guy, Adani, who is one of uh, Modi's prime sources of re-election money. And, uh, what's interesting to me, to me about that is that, well, I'll just say it because a military guy in me. I, I don't know why Bill Gates, George Soros, and a few others are not on a high-value target list right now on a kill list. I don't either. These I guys are... That. These guys have created more, and it, and I'm saying this from the perspective of, if I take at face value all of the press around what these guys have been doing, especially Gates and the food industry, mm-hmm. that that is an act of war. It's not just treason, but it's an act of war and crimes against humanity. But I agree. The 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 part that's interesting to me about that is you look at China. China's a net importer of food, and that that whole uh, piece that that they've invested in the United States and the, not just in the, the protein industry, but they've invested heavily in the farming industry and the grain yes, industry. Mm-hmm. Why would they allow a guy like Bill Gates to go and taint the food supply? Right. That we could do a whole nother show on it, but you, you can well, see how I, I think, I think there's a couple of things that people want to, uh, and this is something that we, we, we could touch. Yeah. We rest, we could do an entire different show on this. China's demographics are terrible. But at the same time, um, China has a whole lot of, I hate to say it, I hate to use the phrase, I wouldn't say useless eaters, but low value eaters. And, you know, from a CCP perspective, if you're a, if you're a government that likes control, which they do, then the one thing you really, you know, while you can, you can be scared of 1.2 or 1.3 billion Chinese. You should be more scared of uh, a China that's focused at the 800 billion to 800 million to 900 million level. They've got a lot of people that they can throw at whatever problems they want. Well, that's part of sacrifice them on the altar of that longer term project. That is one way of looking at China. No, I did a whole. I did a whole episode on. uh, Cool. China's China's view of of the world and how they prosecute um, not just conflict but their idea of tonal war they'll they'll burn a hundred million of their own people over to cheese their aims because they know that ultimately it's gonna it's gonna give them the power shift that they need they don't, that the bodies don't matter to them the, it's the, sur- it's surplus capital to them I hate to say it it's it's, it's monstrous it's disgusting it's all of those things it's it, it but it is what it is it's true and so that's and we point. have to and we have to factor that into our thinking um you know there's no there's no room for morality in strategic thinking like this at these levels if you allow your morality to influence your strategic thinking on these on these things you will come up with the wrong answer that doesn't say that you should suppress your morality or you and again none of these views are things that i recommend endorse this that or anything none of that like 
I still keep pinned on my Twitter feed uh, an article I wrote four years ago on the death of Justin Romano on the importance of being anti-war. It's the most, it's the only position, it's the only moral position there is in this world. I even have a whole, I even have a fundamental problem with, you know, Christian just war theory. And yet I'm, you know, part Sicilian and by God, I'll go to, you know, you, you come after my daughter and like, dude, we're, we're going to have a hoedown. Yeah, right. It's game on. Like I'm not a pacifist. I'm not that enlightened. Um, but, um, you know, so you have to access that portion of your own, um, you know, you have to be willing to access your own, in Jungian terms, your own shadow to be able to understand the, the depth of the shadows of the people that you're fighting against. No, I think and that's a good to be analysis. able to suppress that. And if yeah. you're, and in order to do the analysis and that's, and frankly, that's all I do. And even then I get it wrong because I have too much humanity and I, and they, and every time I, I give them the benefit of the doubt that they still have a vestige of humanity left in their souls, they surprise me. That, that, believe it or not, that's been an age old struggle on the military side of the house too, right? Anytime you mm -hmm. plan an operation, we look at it from the perspective of what's acceptable casualty rates and what's, what's a realistic casualty rate, right? We right. look at the, the enemy's most likely course of action and their most dangerous course of action. The way we, the, the reason why we look at it that way is for exactly what you said. So we can look at their lack of humanity and anticipate what their next moves are going to be. And right. then, potentially compensate for me you can't you can't anticipate everything when you're planning an operation but so, but that begs the question and the question is what do you so china wants to be the reserve currency they want bricks to be the dominant you know replacement for brenton woods how do you see that developing and where do you see I, the dollar? i, I don't think I, I will be honest with you i don't think the chinese want to be the world's reserve currency i think they may i think that choice will be forced upon them. really yes i think That's the chinese understand that that being the global reserve currency is is a uh, at least a three-edged sword and two of those edges point back at the owner because they see what it's done to us they've seen what it's done to the brits they've seen what it's done to every other empire that's been out there they've seen what it's done internally in china's history like i don't think any of these things are lost on them i think they are serious especially the russians and i believe to a lesser extent the chinese understand that there is room in the world as jerome powell said at a humphrey, humphrey hawkins testimony to the Senate before he started the tightening policy in June of 2021, which I've referenced a billion times, that there's room in the world for more than one reserve currency. And we don't necessarily need to have a, it doesn't have to be the yuan or else, just like it, but in the West, because we want to unmoor, because our people who are oligarchs, our plutocrats, want to unmoor money from the opportunity cost of producing new monetary units. This is the functional argument about why money has to be a commodity, right? This is Mises' regression theorem writ large. What is MMT? What is a central bank digital currency? It's a tokenized script mm -hmm. that, is, that is issued without any, um, without any thought to the opportunity cost to issue the next thing. Gold creates an opportunity, you know, gold as a, as a currency or Bitcoin or anything that has the opportunity cost built into its production. That meaning you have to do something else to, uh, you have to take your time and put it on the table to produce this monetary unit. Bitcoin does it by burning electricity. Gold does it by burning electricity to dig gold up out of the ground 
and diesel fuel, which is, you know, again, just tokenized energy. Like the central bank digital currency has zero energy associated with its cost of production. It has a zero cogs in balance sheet terms. And those who have the ability to produce zero cogs money have, through the Cantillion effect, the ability to spend it first and then therefore extract the person that they're trading with future value from that half of the transaction and take their future value and lay it upon them, lay it upon them as a liability. This is a very important point that most people do not understand. Why this is why fiat currencies are evil, and it's why ultimately um, central bank digital currencies are ultimately evil because now you can program behavior into the money into access to the money. And I think that's like where saying, most well, you're a bad person. You didn't, you know, you said something bad about tranny bathrooms, therefore you don't get to, you know, eat pizza or you don't get to get a home loan or you don't get to be a person. Right. Which is the scoring system that they want to implement too, right? Because it's not so, and ESG is just a is this a corporate social credit score, by the way. Yeah. It's all ESG is. Yeah, I've been talking about ESG for it used to be ESGR, which is interesting. They've taken the regulatory out of it. I guess they're just calling right. governance regulatory and yeah, uh, governance. But it, the interesting side of that, the central bank digital currency is there's a lot, there's a whole, there's a whole industry of fear porn around it, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't understand it, let alone understand how they're going to implement it. And even if they implement it, I don't know how that's going to be successful because it's not backed by anything. And it's not know, with Russia. It's not going to be successful. I, people understand value. They understand they're not transacting value for value. With, this is part of the problem of why the fundamentally why the whole Great Reset thing is going to fail, because they've lied about everything. We can see their lies happening in real time. Now it's balloons, like for fuck's sake, really? Like God. aliens, really? Like, Don't okay. even get me started on that shit. Yeah, that, that but again, shit was these like... are all just disinformation campaigns to, and distractions while they try and continue to accelerate. One of the things we wrote about um, this month. In privately for the for the patrons was the idea of we are now into the geopolitical zone blitz era of of um it's flooding the zone this is a classic a classic move on their on their part is to flood the zone yeah i was um play the same yeah. play the same playbook because it works and yeah, it works well this well i mean but but here's the thing the more they zone blitz us in an era where they don't in an age where they don't really control the information stream like the best metaphor for this is, you know, you build a better, you you put out a, a better. I, I, I'm going to use the the cereal argument in the in the uh, in the in the, the supermarket, right? Companies um, all fight for the eye level shelf space in the supermarket, and if General Mills and Kellogg are being um, attacked from a a new competitor who's got a better cereal and they can produce it, you know, whatever. Just, just go with me on this. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, because there's, there's nuance to this argument that could easily break this thing down. But let's just keep it simple. They can either compete on quality or quantity. Generally, it's better for them just to compete on quantity. Meaning they just, when they see something good come out that's of high value, and that even though cereals are shit, nobody, nobody should eat them. Um, the, uh, they can produce what they'll do is because they have the market share in order to maintain market share, they'll just put out six new brands and then sell that to the supermarket in order to p- continue to push their, 
um, and flood the zone with new stuff and new shiny stuff to suppress demand of the new better competitor. And it doesn't matter what um, industry we're talking about. So in Hollywood, they flood the zone with a whole bunch of bad uh, content, drowning out the good content. And there is still good content out there. You just got to look for it, right? And this is why I, I tell, I, and I, I attract a lot of people within my Patreon, my community of people who are like, ah, I'd post Hollywood. I, I refuse to give them any money whatsoever because of you know what they did here, what they did. And I'm like, eh, stop. There's still good content being produced, and there's still, and there are still people within the industry trying to tell good stories that tell good lessons that are are trying to illuminate reality, and because stories are very important in generation, and in, in order for us to make sure that we understand the the real conflicts that we're faced with, what they do is flood the zone with a bunch of crap, yeah. and then you get angry at the crap. And you abreact the crap and they win, as opposed to making sure that you that you jack out of the matrix for a couple of hours every you know every every week or however you can whatever your time allows you for. I happen to you know still spend time watching things on television because for for me it's that old it's that old line from the tick cartoon show. Come on, Arthur, let us sit down and monitor the culture, and he turns on the television set. Um, <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> okay, or brace yourself, Arthur, as corporate America tries to sell us its wretched things. It's all part of the same thing. And the, that, that cartoon was fantastic and um, way ahead of its time and designed for the wrong audience, which was seven. Right. Absolutely. So the, the interesting thing of what you're talking about, though, is that, um, you know, I talk about that in the sense of disconnecting to connect, right? You disconnect mm -hmm. from the technology mm -hmm. to make human connections, right? Because uh, Mm -hmm. The one thing that that we've lost in this country that, and this can go on, but just bear with me. Sure. The one thing we've lost in this country is the sense of community and the sense of um, ownership of your community. And if you look back at any conflict in our history, you will see that the, the conflict resolution, no matter how it was resolved, whether it was through warfare, whether it's through diplomacy, whether it was through um, negotiation, always started at the community level and communities mm -hmm. were always united in a common goal, even through World War II, especially in World War II, when we had, we had victory gardens, we had community um, recycling drives, we had community, um, what they, I can't remember the name of it. It was like this, they would meet like a swap meet, but they would meet to help other people in their community fix things that were broken because they couldn't replace them. Right. We, we don't do that anymore. I can't bear with me. I can't remember the name of it, but it was, my, my grandfather used to talk about it and it was something that we'd just be riveted because we had no idea, even in the seventies, we had no idea what it was like to be in a rationing environment. Right. And we're headed right. towards that again. We're, we're headed mm -hmm. towards a, an environment of scarcity, not, not because of our lack of abundance in the country, but because of the fact that we're going to be in conflict and yep. what that conflict looks like, whether it's kinetic, non-kinetic, that's a whole separate conversation. But the interesting side of that is that, you know, disconnecting from technology, because I've, I've done entire episodes on look at how much our younger generations spend to build personas on social media that are not real. And the amount of expectation and the amount of commitment that they have just to maintain that social media persona. 
and it's yep. all by design, right? It's a it's a psychological mm-hmm. operation to get you to embrace the non-real over what's tangible in front of you and accepting the fact that maybe it's okay to be normal. Maybe it's okay to not have a super exciting life. Maybe embrace that and then go figure out what your passion is, right? So, but we're- Or, just, or even better, as Mike Rowe would put it, forget following your passion. Go find what's needed and yeah. let that become your driving force. Like you may, you, you know, look, there are plenty of, we need welders, we need pipe layers, we need linemen. Like I, I, I heard a statistic the other day, we're going to lose 60% of the electrical line workers in this country because they're over the age, in the next like 10 years, because they're all over the age of 50. They're all our age. Yeah. That's a scary thing. So we, I mean, the, 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 the statistic about the average age of farmers in the United States, same thing, right? Um, what do you do? Like, and I, and I've been saying to people for years, it's like, it's, it's, it's not, you know, everybody wants to be like, the, is there, is, can everybody be a YouTube superstar? No. That was even I, like you and I, right. We, we toiled in different careers during our, our formative years where we were adding value to ourselves as economic actors to only eventually find ourselves in an opportunity now. Because of what these people have done, we have the opportunity to talk about this stuff and make money doing it and have a career and have effectively a second career doing it. But the reality is, is that we shouldn't have to do this. I've said this before. Nothing would make me happier than winning the information war fight and make me go out and get a real fucking job where I actually produce something of value. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the truth is, is that the value that is created by this type of media is of nothing but ultimately a rear guard action against all of their, to use the lack of a the better term, fuckery. Like, this is where the money, I mean, it's not where the money is, but this is where the opportunity lies. And it happens to also be a great, you know, story, and it happens to be a great mission that, you know, we in our 50s can bring to the world because we can bring our wealth of experience in these other disciplines and how they've been perverted and if and used to and now you know synthesize a worldview that we can then cut through all the bs and get right to the heart of the matter so that we can educate as many people as possible to obviate the our need the need for us yeah it's the reality well the interesting part of that that so you made a you made a comment so let me collect my thoughts here so a, a few for months and months and months, I was saying to to my audience that you know China is is deeply infiltrated every institution in in our culture. I mean, all mm-hmm. the way down to the city level, they've infiltrated. Right? Like we talked about Arizona, we'll talk about that briefly right now. So the the cartels, the Sinaloa cartel, is funded by China. They have Chinese regulars that are literally guarding the fentanyl plants that are in Mexico, and they're shipping mm-hmm. that product across with the the cartels. The cartels in turn are laundering money in in Arizona and Arizona is run by cartel money for the most part. That said, they own all the politicians, right? We just did right. a we just did this this hearing last week where Liz Harris brought in uh, a lawyer that's been investigating a RICO case and and I have to remind everybody that their invest this investigation was done without subpoena power which means they couldn't subpoena and go deeper in the forensic audit 
to to uncover whether legitimately if a transaction was a was a money laundering transaction or if the transaction was actually legitimate and pushed through different means there's a variety of things that can come out of that and anytime you do disclosure and this is something that drives me crazy about the 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 political posse here is that anytime you do disclosure you have to have a bulletproof disclosure to where it can't be challenged in court. Nobody's going to get held for liable or for defamation, et cetera, right? Senators right. are protected, but everybody that comes in front of that 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 Senate panel, they're not protected. So I've been asked, little, my phone blew up on Friday and, and a lot of people are asking me, where do you think this is going to, what do you think this is going to do? How do you think this is going to play out? And my answer is, the left only needs 1% to be wrong to discredit the entire storyline. And they've already deployed all of their assets during the hearing in order to discredit the story as it was developing. That's what the left does. They're exceptional at that. Yes. So my, my question to you is, given all that disclosure last week around the RICO case, let's get away from people getting rolled up because I really I don't see that happening. What I'm more interested in is you made a comment in uh, the podcast with uh, Alex Craner that there's going to be a certain amount of people if the Davos crowd gets their way that aren't going to have a seat at the table. And that's the people that are fighting back right now. Do you see some of this as um, disclosure by that crowd to start to break up the power the cartels have and China has? I, I mean, what's your view on all of this? Because Wow. I, 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 yeah, it's a really good question, Steve. And I'll be honest with you. This is a vector that I have not given a lot of thought to. I'm going to be honest. Um, I've been focused, so focused on watching the euro dollar markets and watching the financial space. And you'll notice that like who, you, you can almost always tell where my, where my focus has been by the subjects that I cover. Yeah, that's why I threw it in front of you because you've, you've usually got a pretty good sense for what, I, what I can tell is. you is just my, my spidey sense tells me. Yeah. Like, you know, before we started recording, you asked me about the uh, about the tying Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, to Jeffrey Epstein. Well, that's a classic nuts and sluts campaign that the Davos crowd uses to um, uh, discredit their opposition, right? The, and Dimon went to Davos 2023 this year, which I've talked about multiple times, saying two major heresies. One, oil will be with us for the next 50 years, minimum, get over it. And two, the Fed is going to go much higher than 5%. <laughs> I, th I thought your conversation about BlackRock cracked me up to know it. <laughs> well, yeah, and BlackRock is like, you know, is, is intimately involved. And in, oh, yeah, the whole, uh, I'm Jamie Diamond, I'm sitting back, I got to, you know, he doesn't have a cigar in his mouth anymore because he's, you know, because of the, the, aor the aortic section he had done. Um, but yeah, like, dude, like BlackRock. You know, just imagine all of the CEOs of, you know, the the sovereigntist plutocrats, right, that we have. You know, we want to run America. You know, fuck Europe. We don't want we don't want those we don't want the Euro trash commies running America. We run America. Like yeah. they're not acting in our best interest, dude. They're acting in their best interest, but we have mutual coincidence of wants with these people because we, they understand fundamentally that their ox is being gored. Their bailiwicks are under existential threat. Therefore, they're going to react, abreact, and push back. Right? This, you know, they're kind of our immune system to the, you know, the the long march through the institutions, 
which they were willing participants in for years because they that's, were making money off of it. That's why I was going to ask. That's why I asked turned against them. Yeah. Right. Okay. So now we got about 10 minutes left because there is one topic I do want you to touch mm. on. By and... the way, I'm more than willing to go more than an hour, by the way. Okay. All right. Good. Just, All right. Yeah. Just if we're going to go over an hour, we're going to have to take a short break so that I can go get another cigar. But I blocked <laughs> out like plenty of time for this. Okay. Okay. So let's let's talk about the dollar and dollar runway because you've been talking about this for a while and i want my audience to hear exactly what you see the dollar doing and just your you know here's here's how i see it developing over the next 12 months right because mm-hmm. I, I i see there's going to be kinetic there's going to be kinetic in the u.s in the next 12 months regardless yep. of how this goes it's gonna there's going to be kinetic whether that's civil unrest whether mm-hmm. that i don't think it's civil war i don't i just don't see that now what I see is revolution based on some of these draconian things like the, you know, Washington state just released uh, uh, out of committee, a bill to create an information board, kind of like the disinformation board. So I see that developing. Where do you see the dollar going? Where do you see that? Okay. So my argument about the fed and the New York banks, or at least the non Davos New York banks and we can argue about which ones they are, but they're centered around J- the, the non-Davos at this point. Um, New York banks are centered around the most powerful of the New York banks, which is J.P. Morgan Chase. That's clear. Um, Goldman Sachs will go with whoever is dominant at the time, and I think Goldman is in is is in a league with uh, J.P. Morgan at this point. Um, the dollar, if they're if they're directing Fed policy, and they're directing the leadership, and they have control over the FOMC. Not the Federal Reserve, which is different than the as in as in go back and listen to um, Daniel DiMartino Booth's podcast. I did the one I did with her because I I drew out of her the um, the structure of the Fed because sometimes it's hard for people to understand. So Danielle is an excellent source for just basic understanding of how the Fed operates. Yeah, okay? I'll post that to the channel so everybody. Yeah, can please do. It's first. really important. I think. That people listen to that and listen to it a couple of times and understand this is reality. Okay. Lael Brainerd was the choice of Obama slash Biden. I use that with air quotes, you know, our, our, our mushroom are the first fungal president um, was their choice for replacing Jerome Powell after his first term. They played fast and loose with, his uh, and and unprecedented shenanigans in trying to stop him from being uh, reconfirmed for a second term. He cannot be recalled now that he has um, uh, been given Senate approval. This is one of the things about the chair of the FOMC. He is in control of the most powerful committee within the F- uh, within the Federal Reserve. Lael Brainerd, realizing that she had no real power within the Fed, and that Powell was had is her leaving the fed is a clear signpost that they're fucking losing and so now she wants the gold watch um appointment because she's one of the most politically charged animals on in dc if you think you know all she cares about is accumulating political power okay you mean she's more maniacal than nancy pelosi or susan rice because that's those two are up well, I mean, what I mean is that she's one of the she's one half of one of the most powerful political couples in Washington. So she cares about her political ambitions. So moving her in, so she's moving into the Obama administration um, to get 
you know, her to, to continue rising up the ladder because there was no more room for advancement for her at the Fed because she was promised the FOMC chair. She didn't get it. So now she wants her pound of flesh. That's the way this works on Capitol Hill. So she's gone. Powell and John Williams at the New York Fed are really running FOMC policy at this point. So Powell is draining the crap out of the euro dollar markets, the offshore dollar markets. He's draining, he's doing away with the Fed put, and he's slowly moving the uh, a, a global marketplace for dollars out of the realm of the Greenspan, Bernanke, Yellen. The Fed will always be there to save financial markets when push comes to shove. He's saying, uh-uh, no, we're not going to do that. Y'all are now going to take the pain. And we, and he's structured things, if you look at it carefully, as I said, the booth. And when I, and in and, and the podcast I did with Danielle, we did video, but I, and I, but I didn't, I don't keep the video because I told her it was just an audio podcast. But I can tell you that when I mentioned the idea that um, the Fed has both liquidity in the form of the reverse repo balance, and which is around $2 trillion, and collateral in the form of a few trillion dollars worth of, U.S. Treasuries on their balance sheet, they can provide to the U.S. banking system whatever it needs at any moment in time if a crisis were to emerge. We need liquidity? Well, here you go. You need collateral? Well, here you go, right? They can do that. They have that. That's where monetary policy resides now. It doesn't reside in the ability of the Fed to to manipulate um, the, the domestic money supply through direct application of the Fed funds rate. The Fed funds rate is actually an international tool at this point because it sets the price of offshore dollars. So the dollar is just now starting its next big bull leg up. We had a nice six-month, five, six-month correction in the dollar. That is over. Now the dollar is going to rise even farther, and now we can bring in the Bank of Japan and the potential change out of um, Kuroda as the... Uh, head of the Bank of Japan. And uh, I was chatting with a patron this morning who brought up the idea that Japan may do away with yield curve control in all forms of QE very quickly here to defend the yen. And that would be the last leg of support underneath all of the euro dollar portion of the offshore dollar market. I'm kind of surprised was, they haven't done it already. I figured they would have done I, it. Already. I think it's because I think because I've had a bad. I, I think I've had the wrong read on Kuroda, and and I'll be honest. Like I, I, you know, again, you have theories, you test hypotheses until you get data that doesn't uh, fit. So here's a new one. This is brand new, people. We, I just literally read a, a a DM from a patron about three hours ago, honestly, or maybe two hours ago. Which went over this, which is the fact, which is the following. What if Kuroda hasn't really been Powell's wingman, as I've described him in the past, but he's actually been Lagarde's wingman, trying to hold desperately onto a, um, a QE and yield curve control policy, which stabilizes credit spreads through the, through the euro yen cross, okay, to help bail out Lagarde. That makes more sense, actually, okay. because and now, Lagarde is moving over and now getting rid of And so Kuroda, like Lagarde, is having to be dragged kicking and screaming into the future of saying, yep, inflation's a problem we can't control. I can't do yield curve. I can't I can't hold on to this yield curve control anymore. And so he's slowly admitting to the problem that he actually has no different than Lagarde. 
at the ECB. And so if that's the case, when Corota is removed, the possibility exists that 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 policy is being driven by the Fed and the New York boys is going to collapse overnight, creating the a, a an absolute opportunity for a massive fucking rate shock across the internet. You got you got to remember that there's multiple layers of this. So first, you go after the credit dollars, the M zero of the of the global. Uh, uh, offshore dollar markets, which which Powell has done by draining it out of the euro dollar markets, putting it into the reverse repo markets, and then moving it out of the reverse repo facility into U.S. money markets, which is what's happening now. The reverse repo facility has gone from two and a half trillion dollars down to two trillion dollars, and now people can go get nominal, very close to real positive yield in money market accounts. You can get five percent on six month money. Yeah, you, I remember you yeah. talk about that with Lynette Zhang and how mm -hmm. one thing that I key, key, um, I keyed in on that she said is things will go slowly until they go fast, right? And I think we're in the the slow before the the, the meltdown, right? Because look, I want to see fucking BlackRock. I want to see them implode into a black hole of stupid. I I want to see it's Larry coming. Fink. I want to see that guy swinging from a lamppost until his bones fall apart onto the ground. I hate that guy so much. Okay, but, ready. So no, Stephen, I, I I hate to cut you off, but this one this is good. So go over the last, go over the three days after of the Federal Reserve's February first announcement of twenty five basis points. Everybody wimped out. Oh, Powell wimped out. Everybody, I lost patrons. Everybody told me I was wrong. But fine, fair enough. It's okay. On February second, Lagarde comes out with her policy statement. She takes away her third fifty basis point rate hike that she had on the table. So. We're only going to a terminal rate of 3% in the Eurozone. In the Eurozone. She's already she's basically saying, I'm going to be done at negative 5% um, yields for the Euro. She also said, we're going to end um, uh, sovereign QE on schedule, which is in May. And we're going to add in corporate ESG-based uh, QE. Right. So corporate QE means she's going to be buying corporate bonds for ESG approved um, for, for corporations with a sufficiently high ESG score. Do you know what that means? Do you know what the translation of that is? The TLDR is it's really simple. We have to bail out fucking BlackRock because the Fed's not going to do it. Yeah, I heard you say that. And I, I, I have to say That's I had enjoyed that. that that whole episode you did about uh um, the Fed raising rates and that, what that does to BlackRock's balance sheet was so, epic. And the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that, and I'm going to, and, and this is, like, I, I, I love the movie Patton. So when I want it to stick, I'm going to give it to you loud and dirty. Ready? <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been, um, I've been attacked by multiple people on Twitter saying things along the lines of, but Powell met with Fink like eight times. And what do you think is going on there? Blah, 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 blah. They're all friends. They always work together with Solomon Brothers. And you're just full of shit. And yada, yada, yada. I'm like, really? Why do you believe that those eight meetings between Larry Fink and Jerome Powell, the most powerful fucking man in the world, was Fink going to Powell and telling him what the new, what the rules are? Why do you believe that? As opposed to thinking, hmm, nope, I'm Jerome Powell, and Larry Fink is going to me begging. And Jerome Powell sitting there going, you know what, Fink? Back again, huh? Suck Satan's cock. 
Bill, Bill Hicks routine. <laughs> that is what fucking happened because that is what clearly been ha- clearly on the table here because the ECB just basically told everybody they have to bail out BlackRock. And so it, the reason why we're going down this rat hole is because I know you've you've you get some of the same shit I get, right? Which is your shill, you're just you're on the Fed's payroll, your deep state asset. No. Two things can be true at once, right? We could be dealing with monetary splits between the Europeans and the U.S. We can be dealing with China infiltrating our culture and our government trying to create chaos and disrupt our country as a whole. Because culturally, they're the ones that benefit the most from a U.S. that's that's culturally divided. At the same time, you could see panic in the administration because, let's face it, none of these politicians are smart enough to understand monetary theory. Like half the shit you just said, most average Americans don't have the faintest idea what any of that shit means. And all of it's important because it shows that there's not this, and this is something I fight all the time, right? Is I don't know if you've heard about Q, but this whole Q oh, yeah. thing, it, it's, it's created a, a religion that is highly dangerous to our culture for a lot of different reasons. And and I've agreed times. It's a fucking psyop. It, the psyop oh, was absolutely in place. Is to keep people at home so they could steal the 2020 election. And then they went dark and every, you know, everybody started to pivot. And they're still rough. Dude, I, I, I literally wrote a blog post saying this and I took the, and, and for the, and for the, the hero pick for the blog post, I took the CIA's emblem and added a, and added the curly cue to turn the CIA logo into a cue. Yeah, it was one of the okay. most effective psyops I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely, highly effective messaging. And Absolutely. Why? Why this is all important is that there's this 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 conspiracy theory, for lack of a better word, it's it's a religion now. That you have all these people in the background. They're called white hats that are trying to overturn the satanic cult, and and all this is all linked together, and it's all being coordinated. I don't see that. I see yeah. a lot of marriages of convenience that are falling apart because the ship is sinking and none of them know how to write the ship. Nope. And you, t- you talked about it um, and you've talked about it multiple uh, podcasts, which I uh, appreciate the shit out of, by the way, which one that, well, I, the, the premise that the ship's sinking and they can't save the ship, no matter what they do, it's inevitable right. that the ship is going to sink. And the European elite don't realize that yet. They just want to exert more control. Yeah. And I think that the, ultimately the technocrats and the the Silicon Valley boys, but mainly the intelligence agencies want to create a social scoring system that's mm-hmm. aligned with China because most of them are Maoists. Yes. Right? That doesn't mean that they're in bed with the financial um, gurus in New York at all. No. It doesn't even mean they're talking, right? No. So it, it's, it, it's, it's the same thing with the Epstein crowd, people don't realize that the Epstein operation was a, that was an intelligence operation designed to not just compromise people, but compromise and influence public policy as well as um, national policy. Right. So you calling that out is very important because it dispels the rumor that the Rothschilds are in the background trying to drive all this. And I'm glad that when you talk to Dominic, (laughs) she called it out or Danielle, that she's like, that is not true. There's there's no Rothschilds in the background. So, thank you for. Well, there may be to a to to a small extent, but they they may be they may be back there. I'm willing to to, to I'm willing to 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 engage that. 
what I think is it's just old European, you know, colonialist money that's been, you know, I really do think that that old European colonialist money wants to win. And the best way for them to win is to take Russia, China, and the United States and set them at odds with each other and, you know, leave Europe out of the crossfire. Here's the gig. Putin understands who who's doing this. And they're not going to get out of this unscathed. Yeah. I He's think made so. this abundantly clear. He's named the Anglo-Saxons as the bombers, ultimately as the people behind the Nord Stream bombing and the Kerch Strait Bridge bombing. He's he's allowed his his attack dog Medvedev, right? Medvedev, the uh, vice chair of the Security Council and former prime minister, to absolutely go after the British in public, saying the world would be better off if we just freaking you know offshore nuked the city of London. Now he's not going to do that. That was a signpost to all of us saying, look. We know who the bad guys really are. We know who's actually driving this. And there's a lot of those people in the American government. There's a lot of these people everywhere. They're all doing this for whatever reason they have. And I don't even need to get into, you know, go any further than that. You can infer from there who you think those people are. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter if you name names. You know, it's it, it's not important. What's important is what's driving what is going to drive this to conclusion and the and the, the simple fact of the matter is what will drive this to conclusion is who ultimately controls the dominant currency in the world at this moment in time and uses it as the absolute tip of the spear to start puncturing all of these psyops and puncturing all of these these systems that they've created because they're actually incredibly fragile well what's One interesting What's interesting, okay, though, about that conversation is that I have thought for a very, very long time, again, it's because some of my really good friends are um, they're financial guys, and they've been talking for years and years and years, and I've, I believed it, that China wanted to be the reserve currency, and they wanted mm. to level set all the currencies to the one and get rid of the dollar as a reserve currency because of what it would do to our lifestyle and how mm. it would change our life. Like, think about it. I, know, I, I agree. Terrible. I just think. I, I just think here's the gig, and 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 now the now the next shameless plug. You really need to listen to the podcast I just published with Vince Launchy, VBL. You really need to listen to that one. That one I haven't covered yet, but I'll yeah, no, I, I just put it out on. Yeah, I just put it out yesterday afternoon. Um, we're we're recording this on February twenty Monday, February twenty seventh. I just put it out yesterday because um, Vince and I go over the mechanisms by which to slowly change these things over. I've been saying for a long time now that what will really bake your noodle is that, is that one, at some point in the future, the Fed will want a, will invite a rising gold price. And that two, eventually the Fed will put Bitcoin on its balance sheet. Wow. But that's not tomorrow. That's not next week. That's not next year. That's 2030, 2032, something along those, maybe even later than that. So you think and the dollar's got some run in it until the third? I think the dollar's got plenty of run left in it. I think that, the, but here's the gig. Here's the fulcrum right now. You have, or here's the fulcrum right now. It is, on the one hand, the Chinese and the Russians and the Iranians and the Turks and everybody else building a parallel monetary system, right, that allows for commodity producers to actually get some profit off of the commodities they produce as opposed to it all being sucked up into the financial guys. This yeah. is the big fight, yeah. right? 
This is why there are. This is why the average age of farmers is 58 years old. This is why there are no electrical line workers. This is why all of these things are happening because it hasn't been profitable. And what they really want, of course, is to automate food production so they can control it. And that's have a, that's no never going to happen, input. man. It's just I know it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Stupid. It's the <laughs> dumbest shit you've ever heard. It's a James Bond script for fuck's sake. It's dumb, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. They've deluded themselves into believing that they can pull this off. I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so that, but that makes oh, absolutely, fucking lutely it is. But here's the part. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing, Tom, because you sound exactly like me when I start talking about some of this stuff. <laughs> but the funny part is, if I listen to Martin Armstrong, right, he did the, the video where he talks about the eight and a half year cycle and that 2032 is when the main reset's going to happen, right? That's where the country right. doesn't look the same. There's going And he's talking about um, civil disorder between now and 2028. I wholeheartedly think that if you look at a fourth turning scenario, we're absolutely in the middle of that, right? Oh, and I agree. I agree. I okay. Agree completely, Steve. No, I do. And I listen to Marty very carefully. And I really respect Marty for a variety of reasons, even though at times it will sound like I'm I'm talking, I, I, I'm angry at Marty or I disagree with Marty. Um, and it's simply because of this. Martin, as a geopolitical analyst and he's said this multiple times he's like i never wanted to be a geopolitical analyst i just want to trade right it's why i developed socrates it's why i've done all this work it's why i've built the systems and and the connections and the channels and the back channels and everything that i have the thing is it's where i am i i where i'm always willing to you know constantly take a lot of the things that martin presents and then look at them from multiple other angles and then try and figure out has Martin interpreted his own computer's projections correctly? He's he'll tell you, he's like, look, I'm doing my best to try and interpret, interpret what Socrates is telling me. And he's making his best guess predictions. I've got one for you. And, you know, it's clear that the trend is in place that capital is going to move to where it, capital always moves to where it's treated best. Doesn't matter. Right In the great game of global capital, you don't have to treat capital well by any objective measure. You don't have to be Rothbardian about this and go, well, you know, no, we have to have 100% banking in order to remake the world. No. All you have to do is be slightly better than the next guy, and that's where all the money will flow during times of crisis. Because at, during times of crisis, people only care about the return of their money, not the return on their money. And then once the crisis is over, we can get back to caring about yield. Because... Wealth, when capital preservation, when, when you're dealing with existential threats, all you care about is capital preservation. You don't care about capital accumulation. Right. Okay. Right. So the whole art. So here's one for you. I'm not, and this is just rank speculation or an idea. I just, it's a hypothesis. I'm going to throw it out there. We're all assuming that by 2032, China will look like it does today. That's not a good assumption. It's not. What if the reason why China becomes the, 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 the center of global capital is because the Chinese do away with the vestiges, Chinese people do away with the vestiges of the communism still within the CCP? What if it's actually the neocons are correct and China's and the CCP can't hold on to China? 
go back to the beginning of this conversation when I said, hey, you know, um, the idea that China is not willing to throw three or 400 million people at a problem in order to, to do their whatever it is that they want to accomplish. Don't you think that that's not going to cause massive civil unrest within China? And I've spoken to multiple you know, experts in, um, in, in this area, in, the geopol- in, the, in this area, people like Brooke and Matt Arad and Joaquin Fores and others. We talked about civilizations and systems. Okay? China, Iran, Russia, to a lesser extent India, are civilizations. They, can, they see China or Russia or Iran as the thing that defines them. They are not defined by what system Russians, Chinese, and Iranians live under. I'm absolutely glad you called that out because that the is system absolutely- is they can be, still be Chinese and move. And this is why the Chinese can very fluidly as a people move from Dengism, from Maoism to Dengism to Xiism. And then the next thing, when it suits their purpose. Yeah, I agree with that. Because if you look at Xi's inner circle, yes, half his inner circle absolutely detest one another, and it's a marriage of convenience. And when that melts down is when you're you're in a combat zone like Taiwan, and things are not going well, and they're looking for somebody to blame. And communism in so I've said this for years, right? This is the military side of me saying this. Communists are really good at infiltration, but they suck at complex operations, and it's not something they can pull off without it melting down everything in their society. And I wholeheartedly think that there's going to be a point, because Xi has come out and said that he wants his military to be ready to invade Taiwan by 2027. You mean to tell me you're not ready now? You've been saber-rattling. You've moved forces into place for the last two years. And if you look at Pelosi's trip over there and the way they dis the, the disposition of their forces and the way they arrayed their forces in the South China Sea, that was an invasion force. Yes. They had a blocking force, they had a maneuver force, and then they had a landing force. It was clear as day, but right. they didn't do it. And they had all the forces in place to do it. You're telling me they're not ready. I don't buy that for a second. What right. I do think is that they're posturing for the right moment because they want Taiwan to capitulate and that's not yes. going to happen, which will drive them into chaos for a variety of reasons. But awesome. the interesting, the politi- but the political reality on the ground in Taiwan is that it's shifting towards China. It, it, the last been, elections in, in Taiwan clearly tell us that, 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 that the, that the Taiwanese are looking at the landscape, the rank and file Taiwanese are looking at the landscape going, because they know we can't protect them. They right. they know we don't have the forces to we 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 just shipped half of our combat brigades to Poland. I know. I mean that yep. that was that's the other side of the fence, right? Is what's the US going to look like by 2032 because we can't fight a sustained and prolonged conflict. That's not that's not that's we not can't fight an industrial war the way the Russians the Russians are proving right now that they can fight an infinitely long industrial war with low technology. Well, it's cuz they're from from ground to production, we don't we don't produce anything, and we don't we can't take anything out of the ground. Well, and, that, do, and that's part, and but that's part of the reason why the Chips Act. That's part of the reason why the in, the quote unquote Inflation Reduction Act. Yada yada yada. It is to try and push that that manufacturing back over here. And the question, so now it's a race because the United States can rebuild its steel production, its aluminum production, its its chip production, its blah blah, all of those things that are it's currently having to outsource and is downstream of all this stupid Goldman Sachs style 
Pro Bowl. Yeah, but you like, know as well as I do that logistically, that's ten, that's five to ten years just to get the pre, just to get production started, and the, the, I, that fight's going to be over in three days. <laughs> I know that, which is why Putin has is I think it's why Putin is not pushing the situation on the ground in Ukraine. He is draining everybody white, and he understands that you've got a Federal Reserve making the cost of war more expensive by the day every six raising interest rates yet again, raising the cost of doing business, of, of prosecuting war in dollars and taking away the piggy banks of the George Soros's and the Klaus Schwab's and everything else. And to your point about communists not being able to manage anything, oops, look at Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset. This is exactly why I want to have you on, Ro. This is, this is you, what you just said is about trying to, I've been trying to convey what you just said literally for the last six months and you put it in a in a way better context than I've put it. The context I've been using, which is yours is more appropriate. I'm just going to put that out there. Sure. Is logistically, the fight's already done because logistically those supply lines are 5,000 miles long. I and if you look at World War II, the way we fought World War II was we pre we forward positioned supplies for a year before we even moved into Europe, and even then. We still had to build another eight to 10,000 ships to be able to carry the sustainment to keep yep. the fight going once we did the invasion. And and we had to have the Russians throwing 27 million men at Germany's east, um, western flank. Well, that's a, yeah, that we, you and I could probably sit here and talk for it. By the way, Patton's one of my, is my favorite movie too. I it's my second favorite movie behind Star Wars. You know, yeah, well, that that's good. Star Wars changed we gotta, my life as a 10-year-old. So we got to talk. Well, yeah, everybody saw it in the theater, right? For me, I I yeah, but that's so one last so, topic before because I want okay. you to stay on this topic because you were talking about systems versus versus the, the yeah. I want so let's stay on that topic because I think you've got a lot of good things to say. Because what this does is it dispels this rumor and this thought process that all these countries are aligned together and they're working together. Like you said, where the vectors cross over is where you have symmetry and where that symmetry breaks is where the marriage of convenience breaks apart. And I don't see Russia and China long-term as anything other than trading partners because yeah, of course. China has to replace that net import of food and all those um, necessities, the resources that they need that they're not going to get from us because we're not going to be a net exporter. We're going to have to. The um, the the after the Maidan and the and the first round of imposition of sanctions on the Russians in 2014, 2015, Putin changed the tariff structure and the subsidy structure of the oil and gas industry in Russia. No, not many people understand this. I did. I watched it happen. And he moved what normally would, what up until that point had been a subsidization of the oil and gas industry. All that money now went to the food production industry. And so Russia went from being, you know, uh, a net importer of food to the world's most powerful net exporter of food. Okay. And Which is not lost on China, by the way. No, they did it for the, exactly the same exact reason why they, they knew that they would have to be an exporter of food and that that was going to be their value to China because at some point the Americans would, would absolutely cut off Russia's access to high technology, which is what we've done through sanctions so that 
they could develop the T14 tank. They could develop the latest MiGs, the fifth generation MiGs. They could develop all these wonder weapons that Putin announced on March 1st and the State of the Union address of 2018, which is the day the neocons officially lost their minds. <laughs> Knowing full well that at some point there was going to be a, the, the, that the Americans and the Europeans would cross the line. They would use sanctions in a way that would then obviate and uh, not obviate, but negate all international agreements about the use of IP. That's true. Meaning That's at that true, point, yeah. once we did that um, in March of 2022, in response to the uh, in response to the Russian invasion, or really the Russians just going first in Ukraine, by doing that, that then freed the Russians up to say to the Chinese, going, "Look, here we are. Um, we no longer um, we no longer recognize American IP as a thing, and now we can." And the Chinese can, you know, sell it to us or whatever. And that well, has they've, been they've a stolen story in this that no one wants to talk about. Yeah, they've stolen all of it. The Chinese have stolen. The Chinese stole it all. Now they're and the Chinese didn't give it to the Russians because there was still the hope of, hey, we can work this out. Let's do diplomacy on this. Let's let us carve the world up into distinct spheres of influence and the West. The arrogance of the old European colonial mindset continues to dominate. This is why I keep bringing it up as a European, um, the old European colonialist powers, which is that's the aspect of the quote unquote Rothschilds or, you know, yeah. the Vatican or the old, you know, Venetian and uh, banks and, and, and Dutch banks and whatnot. They're all in there. All those old families are in there. That mindset of the we're the enlightened white Europeans who have colonized, who have brought and uh, have brought Western thought and Western excellence to the, you know, to the, the help, for lack of a better term, to the rest of the brown people of the world. And they really do still see everybody else as the help. That's exactly how the they look at the world. Yeah. Including the Americans. Because you made a, you made an interesting cultural reference that, most people don't realize, and I've said this on my show, on my sit rep several times, is that you know you can't look at Ukraine as a special military operation. There is there is ethnic Russians in the areas that the Russians are occupying right now, and it's not a fight around Nazis or any of the rest of that propaganda. It's a fight over ethnic Russian areas because it's Mother Russia, and that means something culturally to. To Putin, but by the same mm -hmm. token, the Europeans still view the Slavic people as peasants from yes. way back in the Romanov dynasty, that they were peasants that were not smart enough to farm their own lands, etc. Right? Uncultured. It's the, same un thing with, it's the same thing with you know Afghanistan, it's the Absolutely. same thing with North Africa, it's the same thing with the Americans. They're yeah, all had that work out for them. That, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's this is the arrogance of these people. They really do believe that they're just better than everybody else. Well, let me ask you this because uh, the the interesting Chinese part are just ants to them. Yeah, absolutely. So Peter Zihan was on Joe Rogan. He talked about how the Russian oil fields are now predominantly owned by BP and some of the other um, primary oil manufacturing and, and distribution companies. And that now that there's this anti-Russian operations um, agenda and they're moving out, he thinks that or his premise is just like the Chinese culture and the Russian culture are going to collapse. 
he believes that within six months, those oil producing fields in Russia are going to be essentially non-usable for 10 years, if not forever, because of the fact they don't know how to operate them. Is there any, do you think there's any truth to that? Do you think that's- Peter Zahan is a, is a, is an old Stratfor guy. He's a CIA. Well, he's, yeah, well, I've, so I don't, just, I don't buy, I don't buy a word that comes out of that fucking guy's mouth. Okay, good. Because he's, he's a purposefully I, I, amplified, he's a purposefully amplified piece of neocon shit. <laughs> Again, you said it better than me because the way I said it was the eggheads at Stratfort come up with these ideas that are unproven, and you never put an academic in charge of anything because they don't know how to do anything operationally, and they usually turn it into a goat rope circus. So you said that way better than me, but it cracks me up that you and I think the same way. The the Zayhan the is, is clearly Kyle Bass 2.0. Dude, he's been talking about Chinese cultural collapse for 15 years. And the part that gets under my skin is you're talking about a culture that's been around 5,000 years and lived through famine, disease, everything that a culture goes through. Multiple dynasties, multiple empires. The f- every and yeah, and they're just gonna oh, and and because you know there's a couple of empty apartment blocks in fucking Guangzhou that this is going to be a, this is going to be the end of the CCP. Like, you know, all demographic, and this is something else that neocons are obsessed with demographics, by the way, because it's the, it's like, is, is, uh, Lucia. Did I lose you? Well, that, that right. Yeah, we, I lost you. That the, the CIA just broke our feed for a few minutes while you're in the middle of that, because you started saying that the neocons are literally obsessed with demographics, and then the CIA interdicted our feeds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm on Starlink, and we might there might have been a stray cloud, like you know it happens. Line of sight. Uh, yeah. All right. So um, the the CIA. So um, neoconservatives are obsessed with demographic analysis, and demographic analysis. Um, I think is always the last refuge of a bad geopolitical analyst. They can just look at the demographic trees and go, oh, they're going to age before they get rich and all this stupid nonsense. And then I think about Japan. And remember, back at the beginning of the episode, you asked me what my, what my, um, my background was. Well, in those two years that I worked with the, 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 the broker in Vietnam who was you know, trying to build a business for himself and build a life for himself, and he and I were working together, one of the things I... That period was 2011 through 2013 was the period of immense Japanese yen strength before the um, election of Abe, Shinzo Abe, who then immediately, and Abenomics was, hey, we're just going to trash the yen and, you know, become an exporter again. And, you know, globalism, basically. Yeah. But during those two years, what I saw in studying Vietnam closely, and I've, and I've forgotten more about Vietnamese microcaps than most people even understand, even have ever, could ever remember how to pronounce, you know, half of their names. Like, it's rit- ridiculous. I, I literally did balance sheet analysis and SWOT analysis on $2 million furniture makers in uh, Saigon, for fuck's sake. Okay. This is that granular. And during that period, it was very clear that Japan was using the strong yen to effectively colonize Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia and, and all the rest of them. They were that companies like Toyo and um, Yamaha and others were building factories all over Southeast Asia, right? 
and making deals, left a multi-billion dollar deal, deals for all of these countries that had unbelievably bullish demographics, but they didn't have access to the capital. Well, the Chinese, well, the, sorry, the Japanese brought the capital. And so what did they do? They colonized, they just, they dealt with their demographic problem by just buying millions of 20-somethings in Vietnam. It's not tough. It's a global economy. And if you think that the Russians and the Chinese aren't going to do this, aren't doing the same thing in Africa and across Central Asia, and that's not what the neocons are absolutely fucking terrified of. Well, why, do you got, that, got, why do you think they moved Abe in? Yeah, they've got because the uh, because the Chinese and the Japanese had just back back then had just signed an agreement to start doing some transactions in their own currencies and to build up. JGBs and the and the uh, and the PBOCs reserves and and for the uh, and for Japan to take on uh, uh, Chinese debt as part of their reserves. They were going to you know they were going to do bilateral transactions and that means that the Liberal Democratic Party, a wholly owned subsidiary of the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, which is itself a wholly owned subsidiary of MI6 and the British Crown. Said, oh no, that's that's a bridge too far. And then they created the Senkaku Daiyu Island debacle, which broke. You know, they knew that that was the fulcrum that they could um, break any rapprochement between the Japanese and the Chinese over. They used it, oh, and I they think. and they won. And Abe then went on a tear and sent the yen from seventy-five versus the dollar to one hundred and twenty. Which explains why the Chinese and why Xi called out Abe and wanted him dead. That that explains a lot. The other, the interesting part of what you just said, though, is that strategically, Southeast Asia has they're a they could be potentially be a powerhouse of both manufacturing as well as food production for the entire planet. And I see them over the next ten years emerging in a market where they replace us for a short period of time, I don't think it's going to be too longer than a decade for food production and other production because they simply have the workforce. So many people there. Yeah. Indonesia, the Philippines, Vietnam, like they're so, Thailand. Like, why do you think we're constantly mucking with shit in Myanmar? Because the last thing we want is for the Chinese to build an LNG terminal in the Sea of Burma. Go look well, up uh, Pyok Pyok. Myanmar's got the that they've got the the Clinton hands hands are built. Oh yeah, it's also so free. But yeah, but ten years ago, when the Chinese were building the pipeline from Kunming to Kyokpu on in Rakhine Park Province on the uh, on the the Myanmar coast, because the the Sea of Burma has the Myanmar has the fourth largest natural gas reserves in the world. Mm -hmm. So, and a deep and, water port, you know, too. It, 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 the Chinese are obsessed with getting around the Straits of Malacca. Like, it's very important to them. So they bought the port at Gwadar in uh, Baluchistan, Pakistan. They, um, the you know, there's also the, the end of the, um, the, the international north-south transport corridor, which ends at the port of Chabahar, which... You know the deepening of that port to make it more international and make it more accepting to you know large um, dryway tonnage ships uh, was given to the Indians. It had to be taken away from them by Iran because Modi, under Trump, was you know playing the American game, was playing the Americans for all he could get, and the, so they they were five years behind 
you know, dredging out the port of Chabahar to finish the north-south transport corridor. Like, I, I, I can go on and I can do this shit all day. Dude. Like, it's crazy. Well, like, you talk about it from the financial aspects. I, you were also, you touched on the sea lines of communication and the, the sea locks that affect China. And China knows that they know how we're going to wage war. So they know yeah. if there's a head-to-head conflict, they have to go around specific sea lines of communication in order to yep. sustain the fight, right? Yes. So absolutely. it's just a different way of looking at it. But I've been I, I've been watching Vietnam for a very long time for the simple fact that Vietnam is an interesting place for a variety of reasons, right? One, it's a, it's a rice bowl, but two, it's also with the people and they're moving away from the communist um, government and the communist, you know, as you said, model or system moving towards a, a more, I don't want to say democratic model, but that's really where they're moving towards a more democratic model. Mm-hmm. I see them once they, they break the shackles of the communist dysfunction, which I don't think is longer than a decade away. I see them becoming an economic powerhouse in Southeast Asia. And I Absolutely. see, Absolutely. I see that changing the demographics, not just in, in Indonesia, but all across um, Southeast Asia. And it, it'll even affect India, right? Cause India's problem is they have an identity crisis. They can't decide. Uh, if yeah, there's all that. All that. Uh, Vietnam is very interesting. Do you know where the first real, honest to God, everyday adoption in real terms, like people using it in real terms, of Bitcoin was? Was Ho it Vietnam? Yeah, because it's there's... in Ho Chi Minh City. Well, absolutely. Yeah. But the, a, I think they have such a piece of shit that you know you there were there were you know ten years ago in 2012, people were you know taking Bitcoin in coffee shops. In independent coffee shops in Vietnam. Yeah. Well, so they, what do they have? Like fifteen cryptocurrencies there now. I, I have no idea. I, I after I after I got picked up by Newsmax, I stopped watching Vietnam. To be honest with you. Um, so me. all of my information about Vietnam is now close to a decade out of date. But I keep using it as a touchstone to remind people just how long these conflicts have been going on and what I learned back then about you know how important Vietnam is. Every once in a while, I watch to see when the Russians come in and you know the you know. Vietnam was important during the Trump administration when um, John Bolton blew up, you know, uh, the the talks with South with North Korea, uh, and you know all that stuff as well. I mean, it was it's, it's, it, Vietnam is very, very, very important, and you know, and a lot of Chinese um, uh, policy is centered around Vietnam. Now, I'm not crazy about the way the Chinese have prosecuted this, but. Um, you know, and the and the Vietnamese understand that they are a plaything of vaster powers, and they're constantly trying to play them all off of each other to remain effectively neutral. But they know that China's, you know, oh, they, a hate really, China. they hate oh, China. they hate the Chinese. They and with yeah. good reason. Yeah, Ho, Ho, reason. in fact, Ho said to uh, McNamara that, you know, we we were afraid that China was going to move into Vietnam, which is was the you know the BS they used to go in. Right. And Ho said to McNamara at the end of the war. We hate the Chinese. We don't want the Chinese here. We don't want the Americans here. We didn't want the French here. We don't want anyone here. We want our right. own country with our own rules, and we're going to govern it the way we want. And then the U.S. went, oh, okay. They no, saved us 50,000 lives. The, 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 the Vietnamese are fascinating people, incredibly yeah. industrious, and credi- uh, cultural things. The, cult- the culturally, things run very, very deep there, um, yeah. and a very powerful, and a, potentially a very, very powerful people. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Okay. Last question. And then, sure. I'll, then I'll let you, you know, move on with your life. Where do you see, what do you see the next, how do you see the next 12 months developing? What do you, what do you see in the next 12 months? Oh, so hard. Such a tar. It's such a hard question. 
but dollar strength is going to determine a lot of things. Um, I think the clock is running out on on Europe. I will see. I've been saying this for a while now, but they've been very, very good at like bolting on um, new colonies. Like this morning, we're doing this, and we just got the news this morning that Rishi Sunak, you know, the Davos troll that now runs the UK after the coup, um, just you know signed and has got a Brexit deal with over the Northern Ireland Protocol, which will destroy the vestiges of Brexit. Uh, the British at a, are, are conquered people from that perspective. They will not be in the uh, Americans' uh, orbit, which I knew from the day that Joe Biden you know, was granted the presidency, the same way the Dallas Stars were granted the Stanley Cup 24 years ago, but not that I'm bitter as a Buffalo Sabres fan. Or <laughs> um, um, I'm still waiting for everybody to like go back and you know finish playing, you know, period six of game six. Um, but the um, the dollar is going to determine everything. The Federal Reserve's ability to hold out and continue to prosecute monetary policy, along with the Russians continuing to um, dictate terms on the ground in Ukraine, are the two big fulcra at this point that are driving this kind of flooding the zone uh, and the desperation to try and amplify the uh, and, and trying to create a casus belli to get the Western uh, populations, at least nominally, on board with fighting Russia. Never going to happen. A ground war. I don't think it's going to happen. Never going to happen. I know, what, I know that's what they're trying to do. So how much uh, theater, how much drama, it doesn't matter. Right. The American people are not. You You said it with Alex Craner that they're, 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 the elite are expecting the millennials to step up and fight that fight. There's no fucking way. There's no way that's going to happen. Just yeah. like the American public after Afghanistan, see, if they would have done Afghanistan right, there'd be an appetite for this. But right. since they screwed the American people and there's like 60,000 people still over there, the American people aren't going to sign up for that. In fact, they're seeing this outflow of dollars being laundered through Ukraine coming back here to the elite. And they're like, oh, fuck yourselves. We're not fighting this. Yeah, In no, fact, no, absolutely. you send your kids first, motherfucker, and then I'll start looking at my kids to go over there if this thing gets out of hand and they're they're storming our shores. Otherwise, go fuck yourself. No, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's how I see I, yeah, I, I, I Exactly. I mean, what they've done is they've tried to create for the millennials using the Strauss and Howe model of the hero generation and all of these stories, right, to and Hollywood to create this unearned heroic narrative. Uh, and lop it onto the the millennials as the saviors of the vestiges of the liberal order. And these kids are all thrice shell-shocked and thrice abused. Y2K, 2008, COVID. They are all in a situation going, you guys fucked this three times and now you want to go fight a, fight a war for, for, for your shit? No. Yeah, my my so, oldest has has said just almost exactly that. Yeah, Why would I, I go and, fight a war when I can't even pay my mortgage? Yeah, seriously, and they just think that or they're going to make everybody really desperate, and then they're going to hand us a paycheck to go fight a war, and like that is not happening. They have by inviting the chaos of trying to break the United States in two culturally. That is their model. That's what they're actually going for. What they're hoping for is that they can. I honestly think that they want the United States to fight their war in Europe against the Russians and lose, which will cause a mimetic collapse of American exceptionalism and then create the break 
the, 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 the psychological breaking of the United States and, and at the same time, psyoping the red states and the magatards into saying, yeah, we're just going to, like, we don't want to, we don't want to be associated with those goddamn leftards in, in, in Portland and, you know, those assholes in, in the Northeast. We want to be strong and yada, yada, yada. And um, that's also a psyop or whatever you want to call it. One of the, I don't remember the, the, the nomenclature used at the beginning of the podcast, but all good. That is their ultimate goal. Their yeah. ultimate goal is to destroy the United States, the 50 state compact. Cause when that happens, our financial markets break. Who's, you know, who's the guarantor of the debt at that point? Ooh, that's a, that. so there's an aspect I didn't think about. And whose financial markets will still be integrated, which is where they're going with this. Russia, they're trying China. to save Europe. No, they think they, they can make, they can keep capital frozen in Europe and force Americans who can't invest in Russia and can't invest in China because of sanctions will then move their money into the relative safe harbor of the European commie fucking minority report with more German Europe. There's that's, no way that's going to happen. That's no their way. goal. No way. That's their goal. No way. I, no, I, of course I, I not. See, All the, and you know what? You know what Powell says after that? Suck Satan's cock. 50 basis points. <laughs> I, you know, the funny part he of that is the capital markets with five basis points, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, the funny part of that is that. So one thing you touched on that, that I think is very, is definitively part of their end state is, you know, this is what liberals do, right? They divide everybody into buckets. Once they get the buckets all split up, then they start pitting the buckets together, right? You're a white Anglo-Saxon male, you're a heterosexual, you're a homosexual, right? Put everybody in their buckets and then get them to all fight. Here's what's going to happen. At least this is the way I see it. Somebody's going to, just like they did this week, the RICO case was dropped on the Arizona Senate, which freaked, let me, I got Mike Flynn and a whole bunch of other people beating the shit out of my team right now, trying to figure out who's going to roll these people up. I think what's going to happen is, and I've said this for the last couple of months, I think there's going to be a series of disclosures around the European elite, around the Washington DC elite, and around all these eggheads that are in the CIA. And I don't, and I'm not just saying these guys did bad things. I think somebody's going to drop the doomsday tapes of what these guys have been doing to children because they're all fucking addicted to children, every one of them. Mm -hmm. And then they're all homosexual pedophiles, most of them. Mm -hmm. I'm not, and I'm not saying that, just saying that. I'm saying that because I've kicked doors on red rooms. If you don't know what a red room is, I'll explain to you off camera. But the, I've seen that the, the elite at their absolute worst, and I think we're going to see some of those disclosures, like this Jamie Dimon thing with Epstein. I forgot the nomenclature used around it, but it was priceless. I see some of those disclosures happening by June. I see the American people waking up to the fact they've been lied to. They're going to continue to do their psyops, but it's only going to work in a certain small demographic. And the rest of the demographic is going to wake up and go, wait a second, we're fighting the wrong people. The people we need to be fighting are these elitist pricks and this, this dick waving crew. That's the oligarchs that are trying to, you know, mind fuck all of us. I, th I see that developing faster and I see a civil war. I, I don't absolutely, see a civil no, war. I, absolutely. I think, I think we're so close to the tipping point. One of the things that um, I did a couple of podcasts with a guy by the name of Bill Thaywell, who has a, uh, theor has a theory of revolution. I, I absolutely recommend you listen to both of those. Bill's a very astute observer of this stuff. You know what episodes uh, those are? Because you've got uh, 140 yeah, episodes. I can, like, I, well, while we sit here and talk, I'll pull them up real quick because um, I can... Well, because I, I think, think you and Alex Craner together is like it's fire. 
dude, that is an amazing, just to listen to you guys talk for 10 minutes is amazing because <laughs> your view of the world is so different than ever. Like everybody views the world from the same thing, right? They right. view from their, their political religious background. They don't view it from a monetary background. And yeah. I view things from a military background and an information warfare background, which, you know, try watching a movie. If you're a guy like me, that's right. Bullshit. I can only, that's I can bullshit. only imagine. That's so, episode, so I, I, so listen to episode 110 where Bill and I, uh, I, I, that's our, our get to know you podcast, uh, from last June, handicapping the, um, the, the election. Okay. And then, then listen to 127, uh, where we talk about it after, and we did it on January 6th. So I had him on for an insurrection podcast um, <laughs> on awesome. January 6th of this year, uh, where we talk about the next stage of it. I think those two together, um, Bill is a very interesting guy and doesn't do a lot of podcasts and hasn't, you know, isn't, isn't very well known. But he reached out to me after, you know, listening to, to one of my interviews and just said, uh, you know, and going to kind of, go, oh, by the way, this is what I think is happening, blah, 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 blah. You're missing, you're right on this, you're wrong on that. Blah. Okay. And I'm like, Cool. Hey, look, come on the show. Let's talk about it. And um, found, you know, he's got a very interesting way of looking at the four stages of revolution. And, you know, not all the predictions are correct in here, but he, the way he breaks revolution down, we're definitely in the next phase of this. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, it's, it, it's, it's good stuff. And, you know, it's, it, it's at least good food for thought. And you should then consider them. And uh, um, well, I can then, tell you, you're going to get a, a big bump in views here because once my once my audience starts listening to this, you're going to start seeing bumps in all these episodes. So just just be ready for that. But I'm okay with that. Like you know, I I, I don't really monetize the podcast very much. I just use the, the standard kind of you know crappy Google ad. It's not really Google. I, I publish through Spreaker, but um, it's fine. I don't care. I, it's like all I care about is that these things that the ideas propagate, people take them seriously. I'm not right about everything. None of us are. Um, I think you're more right than other people, though, bro. There's a a guy out there by the name of Mark Walk, who's a former FBI agent who does a who writes a Substack called Meaning in History, and he has this Tom Luongo's theory of everything, which is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and Mark and I become you know I I I I I pop into his um into his Substack commentary comments threads every once in a while whenever he mentions me and you know chat and whatnot and you know, interface with this community because it's just it's it's it's, it's a nice thing to do it's just polite you know guys gonna throw business you know gonna throw exposure and business your way you should have the very least you know explain yeah. yourself to people, right? it's just a nice thing to do yeah. um and mark is a, a very serious uh and and serious-minded guy and working very very hard um and uh and you like to see that and you like to you like to see new people coming into the space all full of piss and vinegar you know, building on the things that you've done before. Like, that's the point of this. It's not, you know, we're not all going to stay on top of the heap. And, and, you know, we're all going to have our moment in the sun. We're all going to have our, you know, Warholian 15 minutes of fame here. And, you know, you know, it's like everything else. You, the one thing you never want to be is stale, right? You constantly want to push and, um, and figure out what's coming up next. And, uh, and, be humble in the face of the massive amount of disinformation and imperfect information that you're getting because oh. you can be wrong. And again, like I even brought it up earlier. I, I think I may, I, I think I may have been wrong about Corona and if that's over at the BOJ and if that's the case, well, that's fine. I'll, 
say, yeah, I was wrong about this. I'll reference that I was wrong about it. And they'll say, here's my latest theory. Go with it. Well, I was wrong about President Yellen, though. A year and a half ago, I said she's going to be president. Well, she's effectively president today because she's setting foreign policy. She's setting domestic policy and she's trying to set monetary policy. Yeah. You just, yeah. You just said exactly why I asked you that question, because it's uh, highly unusual for a treasury secretary to go to a warring country and issue any kind of a proclamation, let alone a fucking speech. What is wrong with you? Uh, I think president. Yeah. Just like Mario Draghi was put in president, put in charge of Italy. You know how fucking dangerous that is to put an egghead like her. That's what you call her. Um, Shockingly naive. Shockingly I naive. That's yeah. Daniel DiMartino. Daniel. Booth. That Daniel. is, that, but it, she defines the academic world all in one, one neat package that shows yeah. you just how insufferably naive they are that they can control the chaos that's coming, which again, any, any complex plan, it only takes one small thing to disrupt and the entire shockingly plan. Arrogant is the most important thing. And Yellen, I think, Yellen is stupid. I don't think like these people, you know, we, ah, these people are just freaking incompetent or dumb. They're not very, very smart. Like, no, I think, I don't think Jen Yellen's very smart at all. I think they're I insufferably arrogant, not just. Oh, I know they're insufferably so. arrogant. Yeah, so I am I. But I, you know, and on the best days, I'm barely fit for human consumption, like most of this podcast. But that being said, um, you know, takes a little bit of arrogance to actually do what we do. You got to believe, you know, and okay. I don't give a shit about notoriety. I don't give a fuck I about don't either. it. I, I don't no, care. The notoriety comes as a as a consequence of the quality of the work that you do. I, I just want people to wake up. I'm tired of watching these sleepwalking morons walk around and realize that their country is being run into the toilet by a bunch of Maoists, and they don't even see it. Like I have a I have a friend who's I've known this guy 30 years. He's a PhD in in education. You would think this guy would see everything that you and I see with the communist influence in this country, and he's he's completely on board with the narratives. It's insufferable to sit in the same room with them. Like, how can you be this, this stupid and not see what's going on? Well, but it's you the know, effect of I, the highly effective information campaign, the influencing operations. It's they've it's been. The old, it's the Yuri, it's the old Yuri Bezimov thing. Once you, oh, once absolutely, you, yeah. Once you once you propagandize people to the point, I can I can show you the truth, and, and you won't even believe it. Um, but you know, the the reality is, is that people are really busy and they are what they are and they have their own look some of this is and i've been dealing with this for oh 22 years now since i had my libertarian conversion where you deal with people who are you know, in thrall of the state with state power and how to utilize it and everything and and, and all of this and you just you know when you trap them in their own logic you are breaking down their you're attacking their personality and you're never going to get through to them that way. You ultimately have to just kind of present them the information, have them call you a friggin' conspirator or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, stop talking to you on social media, stop talking to you in real life. And then eventually one day you'll pass each other in a, you know, in a restaurant or whatever, and you'll sit down, you'll have a cup of coffee and go, you know what, you know, you were right about everything. I'm like, cool. So um, what are you doing about it? Yeah. You never say, I told you so. You never just say, cool. What are you what are you saying that I'm not seeing? And that's yeah, all that matters. You're crazy till you're not. Yeah. Of course. I, yeah. Know, I, my wife, I actually went through this with my wife. My wife thought I was nuts for years. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, she's like, I'm trying to do this publicly as a as a public individual. And so she spent the time to like, okay, I'm going to support him this way by being interested in in things like psychology and 
and and and and one all these other things, right? Like the whole Jordan, like ad, you know, downstream of like going down the Jordan Peterson rat, rabbit hole into Jungian psychology and 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 all of this stuff. And she did that, and then she's like, "Holy shit, you're right about this, right about that, did that, holy Christ!" And you know, and it just changes overnight. You know, all of a sudden, it just changes, and that's fine. It's fair. It is what it is, man. I mean, like, you know, we're all we're all products of our own upbringing, our own imprinting, and all of that. And we have to be. We have. That's why I'm very careful not to denigrate people I'm trying to wake up. And I mean this sincerely. Like I get frustrated. I get, you know, we get, I get frustrated like everybody else. Right. But I, I, I despise things like using the word like sheeple and, you know, yeah, these people are just asleep and they're like, no, it, some of it is willful. And that's the frustrating part because they're, because once they admit that they're wrong about everything, in order for them to satisfy their view of themselves as a good and informed person, it then implies that they have a responsibility to make this fucking change and they don't want to do that, so they deny it. And they just stay in a state of denial and it's an adolescent response. It is, really is a learned like child abuse style response mechanism and you have to be sensitive to that's what you're running up against and there's only one way that that changes, and that's as they do the hard work themselves over the course of time. And that hard work takes years. Or they get shocked into reality with a you know, catalyst event, which is coming. Right. That and they, coming. where they have a catalyst, they have a catalytic event in their own personal life where they have a run in with the FBI or the IRS or local government or this or that and whatever. And then, and then it just finally clicks for them. That's 24. The IRS is 24. It's going to be, yeah, and 2020. So you asked, this is ultimately going right back around to what do I see for the next 12 months? I don't see open kinetic warfare between NATO and the Russians in 2023. We are seriously gearing up for war in the 2024 to 2025 arena because that's when we think we'll actually have enough uh, resources to fight the Russians. And I think the race now is for the Russians to wrap up as much of Ukraine on the ground in such a way that they dictate terms of the settlement and if the fed and the um the the new fiscal conservatives and anti-war contingent in congress is powerful enough to stop the biden junta from taking us into war i think it could be a very interesting i think there's opportunities to minimize the amount of damage that is done that's the best i got for you no, I think you're pretty close. I, I, I see, I see kinetic here in the U.S. Not sure what that catalyst is going to be. I, there's too much vitriol in the country right now, mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, to it not to boil over into some kind of a boiling point. What it is, who knows? The the piece that I haven't accounted for is what the cartels are going to do because the cartels have a lot of people here. Mm-hmm. Just like there's Iranians that are here, special forces that are that spread through the country, that you have to assume they're here. That's mm-hmm. just how they operate. So what what that looks like, disruptive and that, operations. And that's a, and that's chaos that's been invited onto our shores by our ridiculous foreign policy sure. and our ridiculous domestic, domestic policy. And, and it's all part of the policy. It's all part. It's personnel is policy, folks. Obama's a, a fucking Tommy. Yep. And the and if you need a meme to make to encapsulate everything that Steve and I have been talking about, just Obama as the Joker. You know, with the with the Heath Ledger makeup. If you've ever seen that picture of Obama made up like the Heath Ledger's Joker from The Dark Knight, and if you haven't seen it, just oh, just this Obama Joker, and to put it into Google, you'll actually find it. It is by far the most important meme 
of 2020 of the of the early 2020s some men just want to see the world burn that's true well tom do me a favor and please keep doing what you're doing and uh, we, we'll have to do an episode where we just talk about star wars and sci-fi because i think that could be an entire hour of uh you know good conversation the other uh, thing is um keep doing interviews with alex Craner. love i oh, love yeah, listening yeah. to the two of you guys talk through where you think things are going because i think you both have a very good read of not just the financial side of the house but i think you have a very good read of the cultural side of the house in europe that a lot of people that perspective a lot of people miss and it's mm. easy to get wrapped up in the echo chambers that is social media, which is another information operation. That's of course it is. Yeah. But um, if, if you don't know, I mean, I've done episodes with Alex on my podcast. I've also done a series of podcasts on Sean Newman's podcast with Alex, where Alex and the three of us go. And Sean has us on pretty regularly. He's actually trying to get us in for a live show, um, maybe later in the year, if he, can, if he can swing it to bring Alex over from Monaco and me up from Florida. We go to the wilds of Edmonton and sit down with a, a base Canadian and have a great three hour chat. So, but those, I, I, I absolutely recommend people, you know, if, if you're, if you're interested in that, what, uh, what Alex and I do. And, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cause those are really good. And Sean's a, uh, a good guy and his podcast is well worth your time. Okay. Agree. Any final thoughts for the audience? Um, don't lose heart and look locally as to how you can shore up your local community. It is the only thing that is going to, that is the way we're going to get out of this. Okay. Find what's not being, it's the micro thing. Find what other people aren't doing, go there and do it. And if you don't have this, if you don't have the skills or the, 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 or the, the, or you're too old and your back's, you know, your back hurts, but you've got the capital, find what's not there because we're going to need those things that we don't have currently. And we're going to need a lot of it. That's how you're going to reap. That's how you, that's how you ultimately resist all of the chaos that they're selling. I live here in North Florida and I don't see what a lot of other people see because I don't live close to a major metropolitan area. I live not, near Gainesville, which is woke central and, you know, is run by a bunch of shitbag commies, but I got news for you. The shitbag commies are losing the war against progress, even in Gainesville which is, you know, who's, who's raison d'etre of the people who are in charge is to be Portland, Oregon in the worst way imaginable. And that's exactly how they went about it for 20 years. So, and they're even losing and they're, and they may even lose half the County because there's a, there's a movement to split Alachua County off and have all the normal people in the rural areas split off and form their own County again, because you know what? Fuck commies. That's simple. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. We'll all have right, to man. do this again. You take care. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bye-bye. Wow. What a, uh, what a good guy. He, uh, we talked for probably 20, 25 minutes afterwards. I'm going to get him off the, cause I know he's doing multiple interviews today, but you heard it from the horse's mouth. I think his view of the world is, is pretty dialed in. And if you don't know his podcast, it's gold goats and guns. He goes start a year and a half ago and listen to his podcast from a year and a half ago where he's talking about how things are going to develop. And, you know, Dexter White is, is uh, a good one. Episode 74, James Nestor, episode 73. We were talking about this after I stopped recording, but I thought he was a financial guy. I got that completely wrong. And he, he we cracked up when I'm like, I thought you were a financial guy. I thought you were a market analyst. He goes, no, nah, man, I was like, I was a chemist. 
So even I got that shit wrong. But, you know, you heard he's unapologetically raw, but what he's doing and the things that he's talking through, other people are referencing, right? One of your biggest forms of flattery is when people steal your ideas. And I think the amazing thing that you get when you talk to, to well, first of all, he's incredibly smart. He's way smarter than I am. Incredibly smart dude. He he sees the world through a really unique lens, which I think is is more than beneficial for breaking apart a lot of the 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 narratives that you see day to in day out on on Telegram. Like you know, if you you'll you'll after you listen to some of his podcasts, you'll look at some of these guys like Biocon Clandestine, some of the others, way differently, way differently, and it will it will change the way you view the world now. Where we depart is he sees that there's not going to be a conflict with NATO until 24. I I think that's plausible, but I think the, the current rhetoric um, kind of precludes that. But, you know, I, I just like he said, you can't get it right all the time. I, I think there's going to be kinetic this year. I think it's going to be driven off what's going on in Ukraine, but we'll see. I think there's a lot of variables out there, but it's just an interesting view of how the world operates from the financial perspective and how, you know, he sees exactly what I do. This is being driven by deep institutional money, right? This is the European elite that want feudalism back, right? It's the kids of the, uh, the elite that want feudalism back, which isn't real. And it's not real because the, the world's not going to sign up to give up their big R rights. That's not a, that's not a thing. And he says it way better than I do in a lot of instances. And, and he says it's, you know, he he just puts it out there unapologetically raw, which I really like. And I really like the fact that he says it in a way that everybody can can take it in their own way and process it the way they want to process it. And I think that's a good thing because I think everybody should have a... Um, a unique view, but at some point we gotta we gotta push to the community level and work together as a community. You heard him say it too. Everybody's talking about community because that's where everything starts and stops with our country from from our history forward. So today I'm gonna I'm gonna end with uh, a song by Seth Anthony. Most of you probably have never heard him. It's called "Oh Glory." It's a little bit of a country rap song, but it, it's, it's, I think it's fitting for today. And I think that uh, most of you will actually uh, enjoy. He's got an interesting catalog. It's not something I listen to all the time, but I, you know, I listen to a variety of artists on a regular basis, but uh, it should fit the mood. Just saying. This is uh, Seth Anthony, Old Glory. This morning when I poured myself a drink Then I headed to the bar cause the whiskey kills the pain I tried to drink the bottle but the bottle drank me Last text I got is baby get home safe 
I stumbled through the door, it's a quarter past four Couldn't make it to the bed, so I slept on the floor I told her last time, baby, was the last time But I had a shitty week, I'm trying to ease my mind Where I come from, you work until it's done And you crack a cold beer, cause you've been up before the sun Sometimes it's hard to be a man when times get tough, you always gotta have a plan. Well, it's tough right now, gas prices to the sky. So many people lost and only God knows why. We fly the flag high, it ain't never coming down. If you don't like this country, get the hell from around. Hey, we live to be free. We fight for what we love and that's the whole glory. Soldiers that we lost American made Tatted on my grave Hoping to rise This country needs to be saved It's the stars and stripes It's the red, white, and blue You better stand up for your rights Before they're taken from you Granddaddy would be rolling in his grave If he knew about his times And his dirty dog days And TV's telling us There's only one way I'm tired of the shit, I got something to say. Hank said it best, the country boys survive. Well, they wanna take a gun so they can go ahead and try. They brainwash the people, I ain't falling for the line. Now you say our flag is racist, y'all done went and lost your mind. Soldiers that we lost American made Tatted on my grave Hoping their rise This country needs to be saved It's the stars and stripes It's the red, white, and blue You better stand up for your rights Before they take it from you